You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where, of course, we talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the Pacers for Forbes in the West Indianapolis Community News, and today we are continuing on the player season recaps and doing the reserve power forward slash centers to finish the week. So we got TJ Leaf today and Jakar Sampson tomorrow, two guys who had interesting seasons and have super interesting futures, one being a free agent in Jakar and one being potentially on his way out in TJ Leaf. So let's get into Leaf season and why I think he could be on his way out. And the way I've been doing these is starting with stats and then skills and then kind of their future outlook based on that. And let's with Leaf, it's kind of weird because you kind of have to blend in the story of his season into his his stats in general because you look at it and he it says, the stats say that he played 8 minutes per game, played 28 games, and had one start. And that is all accurate in what happened. But TJ Leaf in the Pacers' first 13 games, he played in 11 of them and played a ton of minutes in those games, right? At the beginning of the season, the Pacers said, all right, you're in your third year. We're going to throw you in a backup power forward, sink or swim. Let's see if we have a prospect in you or not. And he played uh, 12 and a half minutes per game across those first 13 games. Uh, he only played in 11 of them, but still. And that was a lot of his minutes this year, right? That is nearly half his appearances. He appeared in 28 games. And then after that, I think he cracked 10 minutes. He never cracked 10 minutes. Oh, he cracked 10, 10 minutes in that last game against the Heat, that JV game where both teams were trying or didn't care about winning because they'd already locked up the playoff seating, right? So mid-November, right, he gets jumped by Alizé. They, they play Brooklyn and then Orlando, and Alizé's ahead of him in the rotation. And then I think every appearance he had the rest of the season was garbage time, right? The closest game I see that he played in after November started was a 10-point win against the Hawks, it looks like. Every other game he played in just had a massive, massive margin of, of victory or defeat, right? So Leaf really just started out this... Any stat for him is complicated because he started out the season playing kind of a lot, which gave him, you know, like th- three points, two and a half rebounds, looks like a normal 10-minute-a-game role player, but really he was more of, of a garbage-time guy. Uh, this year so his, his per game stuff is a little misleading and all of his you know advanced stuff's going to be misleading because it's a lot of garbage time anyway diving in you look at his per 36 minute stuff and this is where i think is this is a good description of leaf his scoring from last year is down 13.6 points per 36 and his usage uh from year to year is actually up right so he did less with more touches in terms of scoring his assists went down too right so he wasn't creating at a higher level than he was in past seasons. But the area where I see Leaf actually providing some value, this is the only area I think he provides value at all, is rebounding. He was over 10 per 36 minutes. That's something he actually does pretty well. So in his rookie year, remember, he shot really well from three, hit 43% of them, and then has been under 30% the last two years. And as he developed the muscle to get better at post stuff, he just lost the three-pointer. And now I feel like rebounding is his only skill he's decent at, right? They had that win against the Bulls uh, really early in the season. Or maybe it was the Cavs, excuse me. It, 
uh, it was the Bulls, I was correct, where he was he won them the game. Leaf was really good. He had 13 points and 15 rebounds, and a lot of his points were second-chance points, right? He actually shot under 50%, but he got a lot of putbacks. Uh, he had six offensive rebounds that game because I actually think he's an okay rebounder, but basically every other one of his stats is unappealing, right? His rebound percentage, eh, you know, for a guy who's going to be just a rebounder, not that great. Low assist percentage, steal numbers, meh. Block numbers, meh. Um, efficiency, 45% true shooting, that's atrocious. And we all know that his defense is just, you know, his closeouts are lanky. He's slow in rotation. So the stats, the advanced stats, the per game, the per possession, the per minute, basically paint him as a one-trick pony. Where, you know, Alizé Johnson, who we talked about last week, his stats show that he's an elite rebounder who lacks in other areas and is is and mostly okay but kind of bad defender. Leafs shows that he's only thing he's okay at is rebounding and everything else he is just kind of useless in. And we'll get to specific skills and stuff we, we see on the court, but his statistical profile just completely changing from moderately efficient rookie year where he could shoot and took 30% of his shots as threes, right? That's what Leaf came into the league supposed to be was the shooter and kind of kind of can dribble guy from UCLA. The next year, he takes he has his three-point attempt rate, but skyrockets his efficiency because he shoots an amazing percentage at the rim and kind of develops his post game as he adds muscle. And, okay, maybe he'll be an inside-out guy if he can put those together. They try to throw him in the rotation in year three this past year. And it just didn't work at all. His true shooting tanked, to, again, like I just said, 45%. Only took 20% of his shots from three. Barely made any of them. His finishing at the rim went right back down. Like, all his coordination and confidence just seemed like it went away this season. And, you know, the, like like I said, the first year, you kind of saw this perimeter guy. The second year, you kind of saw this getting better, banging on the inside, but lost the perimeter guy. And the third year, they were both absent, right? He, he, he didn't shoot well. He didn't show any of the post stuff that he occasionally did. I forget which assistant coach said it, but one of the assistant coaches for the Pacers in his second year said that he's better at center. And that I, I agreed at the time. Now I don't really know what to make of him. His stats don't really give a defined position for him. And as we saw multiple times throughout the season, it's kind of hard to, to say what what is uh, the best position for him and what he's good at. So let's move on, talk about some skills and things we saw from Leaf this season before we get into his future. So like I said, I want to I wanna touch on the thing I talked about last time, the positives, the rebounding. I want to start with that because I truly think he is a pretty good rebounder, right? He's 6'10", so as he came in as this power forward, but that's basically like Miles Turner 6'11". You know, that's center height. He's not like unathletic. You know, he can get up and get the rebounds. His, his predictive timing for jumping is pretty good. That kind of stuff he's good at. He gets in the right positions for him because he's typically around the basket, a guy, he deserves credit for that, right? 71 rebounds in 200 minutes this season. He had 82 rebounds in almost 500 minutes as rookie, right? So he definitely has improved substantially on the glass. And I think that's as he's added muscle in his two years, right? He's in the gym, like the workout gym all the time as his career's developed. I think we've seen a lot from him in terms of, you know, getting better on the glass, he deserves a lot of credit for that, right? He, he corrals his own misses a lot. You know, he doesn't quite have the second jump of Alizé, but on the first, if he misses, you know, one bunny around the rim or a little floater, he is really good at that first explosive get up, go get it. His offensive rebounding in particular this year, 23 of them, uh, nearly one third of his rebounds were offensive. That's pretty impressive, right? So he does deserve a lot of credit for that skill, but 
everything else, I just I'm missing something from him, and I I don't know what happened because you know I I wrote about him as a prospect when I I used to cover a lot more prospects back in the day, but I wrote about him as a prospect the year he got drafted, and I graded him kind of early second round, mostly because of his defense. But if you look at his his tape from UCLA, right, it's it's almost night and day how different it is between what we just saw this season and basically throughout his career. And then because you know he with he had Lonzo on his team then right and he was he would shot fake and put it on the floor and then dunk and he kind of had a little mid post moves to to get around guys and like sometimes you know Jason Tatum's an example and he ended up being amazing so it's not a great example but like sometimes with college prospects it's weird because they beat a guy but it kind of looks hard or like the, the shot is still tough and they score. Where you go, oh man, you know, with an NBA defender, they're definitely not creating space. Whereas with Leaf, it was like, oh okay, you know, he he's just handily getting by these these guys. And obviously, college NBA is different, but you know, there was a thought that even beyond he shot well from three in college as well, maybe he could he could handle the ball a little bit. And then just neither of those translated, right? I think it was a flash in the pan. His three point shooting, his rookie season, because free throw percentage is also a pretty good indicator of shooting ability. He's fifty seven percent from the line for his career, right? So probably just a lucky stretch of 42 threes that year. He's taken 49 cents and only made 13. So not a good shooter. And then the dribbling is just like, like he has some of the ugliest turnovers ever. And it doesn't make, it just, it, it's so weird to me what happened to him between UCLA and the Pacers because that floor game, if he if he could even be a one dribble player, right? Like he, he can catch it and do one dribble and, you know, make the defense move or make them react to him instead of, you know, being being proactive instead of reactive. All of a sudden, he opens up a lot more, but he, he can't do any of that. And if he doesn't pair shooting with it, he's basically useless on offense outside of grabbing offensive boards. And that is not something I expected from him because he was basically a one-sided prospect, right? The, the idea was, okay, and this is 2017, right? The Warriors are just dominating because... They're putting out these super ridiculous no center lineups. The stretch four is exploding in popularity. You know, everybody wants a stretch four. The Pacers have still, since they drafted TJ Leaf, been searching for a stretch four. The thought was this dude can be a stretch four, powerful offensive four, you know, can fit with Turner. Great. But the defense was never there. Well, that offense not translating becomes a super huge problem because the defense is still just just bad, right? He his closeouts make no sense. Like he he kind of runs just past guys and sort of leans side. I'm doing it at my desk right now. He kind of leans sideways with his right arm at the guy. It's not like the run out, chop your feet, close out that everybody's taught at lower levels. And, you know, that doesn't really work. And he, he casts the close out from kind of far away because it feels like he sags off a little bit from his man, especially one pass away. And the defense wasn't supposed to be awesome. And, you know, Dan Burke makes guys a little better, right? Like, I feel like like it, the actual advanced team stats of TJ Leaf's defensive rating turn out to be decent two years in a row, right? Maybe there's something to something he's doing on defense that I am missing that makes his his advanced team stats not so ridiculous, but it just seems like as an individual defender, he hasn't grown in the way that a lot of guys who join the Pacers grow, and the, the skills just haven't meshed on either end, and that's, you know, they, they picked this guy eight, 18th. Like, this was the year, and I said this before the season, I think me and Anna both did, that we thought he would start the season in the rotation. We were right, because... You know, third year is typically the year that you see the growth out of these younger guys. You have to give them three years to see what they're made of. They picked up his team option for cap reasons, but, you know, they, they kind of thought, 
okay. He's maybe taking off. And remember, Malcolm Brogdon last summer said TJ Leaf's really impressing in these scrimmages. So the thought was it made sense to put him in the rotation, see if that offense comes around. And then I, everything, I mean, everything except rebounding, just even took a step back. And he was, he was worse than the two-way guys. He was the, the least valuable player on this team. And I, I don't really know. Like, if I, to say where he could grow to be in the rotation next year would, would it's not an impo- it's not a possible answer, right? Because even if he's a sniper from three, let's just say that, that, that 18 for 42 is more indicative of his shooting his rookie year than the last two years. Okay, well, he still can't dribble, and he's not going to play enough that teams are going to, like, sag off of him, right? And his defense is still useless, like, worse, worse than McDermott. And he can't cut like McDermott, and, he, and McDermott's got some two dribble moves, especially coming off Sabonis. Like, what is he just standing in the corner the whole time? I just, I don't know what one thing, and he could what round out his game maybe and get closer to rotation. But I don't know what what he can improve on. To all of a sudden you go, all right, we 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 got to find a way to get him minutes, and that's what it's just such a disastrous second season and or third season, excuse me, and it's so hard to project what he could be going forward because it was just not not at all what they wanted he got passed by Alize in the rotation that makes a lot of sense Alize's been better they're about the same age but to get totally jumped by Jakar two who's never even played big minutes at the four or the five and he, he just totally took a spy I mean Leaf has just such a long way to go that I, I kind of doubt he'll be in the NBA for more than just the one more season he has on his contract if that and that leads me to I want to talk about his future and what it could look like with the Pacers or another team. So let's take one more break and talk about that. So there was a report mid-season uh, from Eurohoops.net, the source on all things European basketball, that Maccabi over in Israel have their eyes, Maccabi Tel Aviv, have their eyes for TJ Leaf as a signing, right? And that's crazy that that's getting out, but he's Israeli anyway. Because he still has a year left on his deal. But we always talk about, on the show, we've talked about at least in the past, and I wrote about this, TJ McConnell's option, right? He's got this non-guarantee of $2.5 million. The Pacers can cut him and save $3 million if they want, if they wave and stretch him. I don't think that makes any sense to me to do that to McConnell because they could just do it to Leaf instead, right? Leaf's do four. So Leaf's option was picked up, for those who don't quite understand this cap stuff. Because the Pacers are going to be over the cap either way, and they were going to have the room to spend their mid-level either way, right? There was no downside to keeping his money on the books. If he if he's not in the rotation, whatever, like he's just a former first-round pick in the last year of his deal, it's an expiring deal, no big deal. The pandemic now makes that obviously look stupid, but you can't predict a pandemic when you're team building. It made all the sense in the world to pick it up, even if he was awful again. But now, if the Pacers want to free up room. They can waive him immediately and then stretch that $4.3 million and over three seasons that he's due next year, and they would pay him about $1.45 million every year. Right away, there's almost $3 million of cap space right there just from waiving and stretching TJ Leaf. And now it's stink to pay him for three seasons, but in those three seasons, they're already going to be pushing the salary cap either way, regardless, well, the next two seasons at least. They're going to be pushing the salary cap either way, so it's not like having his $1.45 million on the books is going to be that big of a deal. So to me, I'll get to his like if he'll be on the, like his actual future with the team after this. But I think that that is a, a, a not discussed very much that should be idea that makes a lot of sense for the Pacers is just they could just wave and stretch him and immediately free up quite a bit of cap space. But 
if he is on the team next year, right? They do, they have roster spots. There's no need to just wave a guy to wave him. Now, Herb Simon saving some money, but he doesn't save it, right? He's still paying him at some point. And having him completely off the books next year could be good if they're pushing the tax if they keep Vic or something like that. Anyway, if he is on the team next year, projecting what he could be or what his his role could be is, is impossible because if they bring back everybody that seems like they're going to bring back, he's already out of the rotation, right? He's already guy number 12 at best. And that's if, like, the three guys they sign are undrafted guys and they don't bring back Alizé or Jakar. He's your 12th man. He's still out of the rotation. So it's hard to see him getting a lot of minutes in a normal scenario. So I don't really quite understand what his role on the team would be unless he takes a huge leap or if they make a lot of trades. And that's why I think waving and stretching him makes some sense. But it seems like next year for him, the, the best case scenario is that the Pacers let him go to the G League and he really impresses to the extent that they, you know, in those, you know, in the moments last year, right, they 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 when they were missing Sabonis and Turner in mid-November. If you'll remember, they started Jakar and Goga, and Alizé Johnson was their forward off the bench. That's right when Leaf lost his spot. So if he can impress some at some point before the start of next season, or even during next season, and jump Alizé to be in that spot, that's his route back to to getting some minutes or getting more than ten minutes in a game again. Is being the utility man who can come in when a big gets hurt because Miles and Domas are inevitably going to miss a few minutes every game. Big guys just get hurt in the NBA. So Leaf will get a chance and, you know, go Golosby in front of him, but he'll get a chance. He just has to leapfrog one guy to do it. And that maybe that's how he shows that he, he's grown and, and needs to be re-signed somehow to stay in the NBA. But to me, the most likely options for him next year are, one, well, the most likely thing is that he's just on the team and never plays. But the, the other options that are completely plausible, one, Wave and stretch, just immediately free up basically three mil of spending power uh, at the expense of nothing except for time. Two, he's cap dumped. They ha- he's four point three million. If they trade two second round picks, the Detroit Pistons will pay him instead, and then he's off the roster. There's a free roster spot. There's four point three million they could spend on you know use it to make sure they could spend the full mid level, or they could sign Justin Holiday and use the mid level, or use the BA something. They could do something if they are able to dump that salary. And I get there's a very small subset of people on Twitter who are still believers that TJ Leaf could be something. And to them, I think they'll think he never got a fair shake and salary dumping him would be bad. I just I just don't think he's an NBA player. I think they whiffed on the draft pick and they need to just cut their losses. They need to not, you know, try to like they tried to invest resources in him last year. I get it. I actually said they should do it. They should not do that again. I think that the TJ Leaf experiment is over. I think his time in the NBA is likely over, and it, it it would not be surprising to me if he is either dealt in a salary dump move like the one I just described or is just completely waved and stretched. But we will see. I think that makes a lot of sense for Kevin Pritchard, but I totally get why they would just rip the Band-Aid off and pay him for a year and then not deal with it anymore. So we'll see, but it's unlikely TJ Leaf has any meaningful impact on the Pacers' future plans given his recent season. So... Yeah, that's all we got for TJ Leaf season. Everyone else, we have season recaps for Edmund Sumner, Jakar Sampson, Malcolm Brogdon, and Oladipo. We're in the rotation and had some shining moments we can talk about and cover, so that will be fun. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hope you're staying safe, and we will see you tomorrow.